Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. You can call in, ask your Bible question, even discuss the Bible. Perhaps there's a point of difference we would like to explore. Of course, the Bible is here to settle all the issues because we're talking about Christianity. We're talking about God's religion. Um, we're talking about the truth. And John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. So the word, God's word, defines for us what the truth is. It's going to settle all questions here. We've been talking the last week or two about why there are so many different interpretations of the Bible. I mean, obviously there are because there's hundreds of churches out there and each church represents a different understanding of the Bible. Why are there so many different understandings? Many people assume since there's so many different understandings of the Bible, that means the Bible's hard to understand. And we've been proving that's not the case the last couple of weeks. There are a lot of different interpretations of the Bible, yes, but it's not because the Bible's hard to understand. There's a whole bunch of other reasons that we've been over the last two weeks to show that. And one of them is that some people come up with different understandings of the Bible not because the Bible's hard to understand, but because they don't take under consideration all the passages on a particular topic. For example, the Catholic have this doctrine they call transubstantiation. You say, what do they mean by that? Well, in their mass, what they call the Lord's Supper or the communion, they believe that when the priest gives thanks for the bread, that the bread literally physically changes from bread to the body of Christ. And when the priest gives thanks for the fruit of the vine, that that fruit of the vine literally physically changes to the blood of Christ. Now, I can understand why they might conclude that if all they did was read Matthew 26, 27 and 28. It says that he took the cup, talking about Jesus, and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which he shed for many for the remission of sins. If that's the only verse we had, you might conclude, well, the, the liquid that was in the cup, the fruit of the vine, changed to blood because after he gave thanks, he called it blood. But that view doesn't take into consideration everything the Bible has to say on this. If you look at the very next verse, Matthew 26, 29, the very next verse in the context Jesus went on to say, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So it's true Jesus called that liquid blood in verse 28, but he called it fruit of the vine in verse 29 after that. So if, it, if verse 28 means it changed to blood, literally and physically, then verse 29 would mean that it literally physically changed back to fruit of the vine. Well, that's obviously not the case. It was fruit of the vine the whole way through, obviously. Well, why does he call it blood? In verse 28, he's using a metaphor. What's a metaphor? Well, how about John 10, verse 9 is a good example of a metaphor. Jesus said, I am the door. I mean, you don't think Jesus is a rectangular piece of wood with three metal hinges on it, do you? No, he's using a metaphor. He said, I'm the door in the sense, you've got to come through me to get to God. You've got to come through me to get salvation. Same thing here in Matthew 26, when Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood. He's not saying, well, that liquid in there, the fruit of the vine, literally, physically changed to his blood. He's not saying that. 
we know that because verse 29, he, after this, he calls it fruit of the vine. So it's obviously fruit of the vine all the way through. What he means is, is this fruit of the vine represents my blood. In our celebration of the Lord's Supper, the communion, we eat the bread to remind us of Jesus' broken body. We drink the fruit of the vine to remind us of his blood. That's what it's talking about. Not that it literally changed to blood, but that it's supposed to remind us of the blood. I might, you might come into my house and I might say, there's a picture on the wall. And I might say, that's my mother. Well, you know, I don't mean that's literally physically my mother. That's a representation of my mother. So when Jesus said, this is my blood, he's not saying literally physically his blood. He said, this is a representation of my blood. This is to remind you of my blood. And we do that every week, Acts 20, verse 7. Upon the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. Paul preached to them. Every week has a first day in it. So we eat the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. In that, we eat a piece of bread to remind us of his broken body. We drink some fruit of the vine to remind us of his blood. It's intended for us to show the Lord's death till he comes. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. We're remembering his death till he comes. We're being thankful for his death till he comes. That's a good example of people coming to the wrong understanding of the Bible because they don't take into consideration all the Bible has on a particular topic. Another example of that is when many denominational people come up with this theory that salvation is by faith alone. And I believe that a lot of them come to that false conclusion because they don't take into consideration all the Bible has to say on that topic just like the Catholics don't take into consideration all the Bible has to say on their little theory of transubstantiation. If, I'll admit, if you were to just take John 3.16 all by itself, for God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, if that's the only verse there was in the Bible, if that's the only verse there was on salvation, yes, you would conclude that salvation is by faith only. But it's not the only verse. James 2.24 says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Mark 16.16 says, for example, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So John 3.16 is not telling us everything we have to know about salvation. You got to take all of what the Bible says on salvation to know the complete picture. And when you take all the Bible has to say on 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 salvation you find out that a person not only has to believe John 3:16 but he has to repent Acts 2:38 he has to be baptized Mark 16:16 16, 16. so there's more than just one condition in order to be saved by the grace of Christ you got to take all the passages on any particular topic to understand the complete truth on that topic and if you don't yes you're going to come to the wrong conclusion that's another reason why people come up with wrong interpretations of the Bible is because they're not taking into consideration everything the Bible has to say on a particular topic. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Another reason, people, that there are so many different interpretations of the Bible, and it's not because the Bible is hard to understand, is because many religious people are more loyal to a system than to what God's Word actually says. What do I mean by system? Like the, the theological system of Calvinism. A true Calvinist will admit that all five points of Calvinist will fall if you can prove one of them wrong. 
So, for example, one of the points of Calvinism is the limited atonement, that Jesus only died for the elect. He didn't die for everybody. But how about this pretty simple verse? Hebrews 2, 9, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Is there anything hard to understand about that verse? It says that Jesus would taste death for every man. The Calvinists don't believe that Jesus tasted death for every man. They believe he only tasted death for the elect, the saved. Well, when that verse is so simple and plain, why don't they believe that? Because the Calvinist knows if they accept the plain meaning of that text, that Jesus died for everybody, he tasted death for every man, then since they admit that if one of the five points of Calvinism falls, the whole thing falls, then their whole system would come tumbling down. So they won't admit this the truth of this verse that God sent Jesus to taste death for every man. They won't admit that simple truth because they're more loyal to their system of Calvinism than they are to the plain meaning of God's word. And that's unfortunate. Dwayne from Illinois, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, hi. I was wondering uh, on Genesis when it first says that uh, man was created in God's likeness. But then when you fast forward to Genesis 3, it says that Adam uh, had a son and uh, he fathered Seth in his likeness. So what's the difference between both of those? Well, when it says that God made man in our image, Genesis 1.26, it's not talking about a physical resemblance. That's where people might be confused because there is no physical body for God. God is a spirit, the Bible says, John 4.24. And the Bible also says a spirit hath not flesh and bones. It's not talking about a physical resemblance when it's talking about man is made in the image of God. I think it's talking about the fact that man has a spirit or a soul that can exist beyond physical death, as opposed to like an animal is not made in the image of God. It has no soul. Once Rover is dead, Rover is dead. That's, he's gone. That's it. But a man continues to exist, either in the course after the judgment day, either in heaven or in everlasting punishment. So that's the difference, I think, Dwayne, is one is not talking about, Genesis one twenty six is not talking about a physical likeness. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, totally. I appreciate your answer. It couldn't be a physical likeness because God doesn't have a physical. He doesn't look. He doesn't have. Uh, he doesn't look like anything physically. He doesn't have a physical body. Dwayne, thank you so much for your good question and your call. Okay. Thank you. Now, with Dwayne going off the air with that good question, that means the lines again are wide open. If you have a Bible question or comment, here's the number to call. If you want to go on the air. 877-655-6755. So we were talking about Calvinism. They can't accept the plain meaning of many, many, many scriptures because they've got this system of theology. And if they accept the plain meaning of these verses and they admit that, that any one of the five points of Calvinism is contradicted, their whole system falls. So they're not going to admit the plain meaning. So I can't think of a verse that's more simple than Hebrews 2.9, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man clearly teaches Jesus died for everybody. Why can't the Calvinists accept that? Is that because, is it because that verse is hard to understand? No, it's not because that verse is hard to understand. It's because the Calvinist is more loyal to his system than what God actually says, you see? And many people can be that way. Now, you know, we've been talking about 
reasons that people come up with the wrong interpretations or understandings of the Bible, and it's not because the Bible's hard to understand. You know, perhaps the most prevalent one is because of money. I can't think of a truer statement than the one we see in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. The love of money is the root of all evil. That is so true. Most people are driven by money. They're not driven by loyalty to God and his word. They're driven by money. Let me read another verse along these lines. Romans 16, 17, and 18 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Why do we have all these false teachers out here? They claim to be gospel preachers. They preach false doctrine. Why? I mean, why would any preacher, as simple as 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 is, it says it's a shame for women to speak in the church. Why would any preacher that knows anything about the Bible say it's okay for a woman to preach in the pulpit? But about 75% of the churches do allow that. Why? Because preachers are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Their own belly. Now, I can't judge anybody in particular their heart, but the Bible is teaching here that a lot of people out there teaching are doing it for the money. They're doing it for the money. And if they're doing it for the money, not because they love God, then they're going to preach whatever gets them the most money or gives them the most security financially. You see that? Like I said, I can't read anybody's mind in particular, but that's what this passage is saying. These people are teaching false doctrine because they're not really serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Money is the root of all evil. I mean, the love of money is the root of all evil. I said that wrong to start with. It's not money. That's not the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. Unfortunately, there are many preachers out there that are like people who are not preachers. They have the love of money, their covetousness. Uh, they, they covet. They have the problem of covetousness. And so that's the reason we come up wrong interpretations of the Bible. It's not because the Bible's hard to understand. It's because money is driving, is driving a lot of things. If you have a Bible question or comment, I want you to give us a call at 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, Give us a call at 877-655-6755. So over the last two or three weeks, let me just summarize what we've talked about. What we're really trying to say here is that there are a whole lot of different interpretations of the Bible, not because the Bible is hard to understand. It's really because people don't have a love from the, for the truth. They don't have a love for the truth. There's, instead of believing what the Bible says, they allow what we call political correctness to shape their positions. Or... As we saw a week or two ago, sometimes people have the wrong authority. I mean, the Watchtower people take their magazines uh, to be more important than what the scriptures actually say. Some people let tradition trump scripture. Some have ulterior motives, like we just talked about one. Well, they let money get in the way of believing the plain meaning of the scripture. Sometimes believing the easy plain meaning of the scripture interferes with how we want to live or contradicts what we wish the truth would be. So we end up not believing the truth, not because the Bible is hard to understand, but because 
it doesn't say what we want it to say. And as we mentioned tonight, sometimes people don't take into consideration all the passages in the Bible on a particular topic. If God wanted us just to have John 3.16, he would have given us John 3.16 and that alone. He gave us, gave us the whole Bible because he wants to use the whole Bible to find the truth. And you're not going to find the whole truth on any topic in any one particular verse. And then people are more loyal to a system than what God's word actually says. So really, we have all these different interpretations of the Bible, not because the Bible's hard to understand, but because we have all these outside factors that come into play that shape what people are going to believe and teach in addition to the Bible. Matt from New Jersey, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Oh, hello. How are you? Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um I am listening to you for the first time. I'm just driving around. I'm listening to XM Christian Radio. And uh, you did make a comment, sir, about the Bible not being hard to understand. And I beg to differ a little bit with you in that it's not the question of hard, but you have to do a lot of work to understand the Bible, especially biblical prophecy and Daniel and Revelation. It's not just you're picking a novel and reading it or a textbook and reading it like a science book. You have to put it, you need your Bible dictionary, you need your commentary, you need your diction, your language thing. So uh, for a lay person, especially if somebody's a new Christian, to tell them that the Bible is not difficult to understand, I think may be a problem. And uh, it, 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 it takes a, a lot of work to understand the Bible. Some, Matt, so thank you for your like call. Appreciate your call. You know, Matt's right to some extent. The book of Revelation, the last six chapters of Daniel are pretty hard to understand. I wasn't talking about those. I was talking about like the books of history in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It says, Jesus did this, Jesus did that. Or in the book of Acts, Paul did this, Peter said this. Or in the letters to the epistles. I mean, it's, it's about like reading uh, a letter from your girlfriend. It's not that hard to understand. Most of the Bible is written on a sixth grade level. But what we're seeing is, yeah, the book of Revelation may be hard to understand, the last six chapters of the book of Daniel. But all the different interpretations that people come to are not because the Bible is hard to understand. It's because they have ulterior motives. There's other th factors coming in. And some of the things, I agree with some of the things that Matt said, but one thing you don't need to understand the Bible is a commentary. The Bible commentary usually throws people off. Gloria from North Carolina, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi there. Um have some questions regarding women in the pulpit. Right. The Bible's pretty plain on that. What, you have a particular question about it? Yeah, are women supposed to be preaching in the pulpit? Let me read this passage to you, Gloria, and let me and you tell me what you think. First Corinthians fourteen, thirty four and thirty five okay. says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. What does that passage mm -hmm. say about women preaching from the pulpit in the church, Gloria? Yeah, it, 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 it appears that they don't, they're, they're really not supposed to be in the pulpit. Yeah, and that's not that, that, but, that passage is not that hard to understand, is it? It's, not, it's very clear. Very clear. Yet, I've been told 75% of churches across America will allow women to preach from their pulpit. It just shows you. They're not believing false doctrine because the Bible's hard to understand. They're believing it for some other reason. In this case, How, the pressure for okay. political correctness, maybe. Go ahead, Gloria. I cut you off there. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. No, because I, here lately, uh, 
I've gone to a church here for about three months, and they're all women except for one man. I said, what happened to the men? Yeah, that's unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Gloria, let me read you another passage, and you tell me what you think about it. Here's another passage. 1 Timothy 2, 11 Mm -hmm. and 12 says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. Does that sound like God wants women to preach in the pulpit in the church? It, it doesn't. But you know, I, I, I don't know. I've heard so many things. I'm, I, I, I'm not confused, but I'm, you know, I'm like somebody has the answer. Well, doesn't God have the answer in the Bible when He says it's a shame for women to speak in the church? Isn't that pretty clear? Isn't that the answer? That's pretty clear. Yes. But why so do they what, go on and say, "Oh, it's okay." You know, I've been called. This is my calling. Well, people, a lot of people, I can't judge anybody's heart in particular, but people for the most part do what they want to do instead of what God wants them to do. They want to be, a woman wants to be a preacher. So she decides she wants to be a preacher. She's going to figure out a way to manipulate the Bible to make it, to get it to justify what she's doing. But of course it says, Women are keep silence in the church. There's no way to get around that, is there, Gloria? There's no way. It's very plain, very clear. So thank you for I your said, call, Gloria. You're welcome, and thank you for the amazing answer. Okay. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Also, as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bailey from Georgia, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi. Yeah, I didn't hear quite all of what you were just saying to the lady you got off the phone with, but... If the Bible is pretty clear that through Christ we are slave nor free, Greek nor Jew, like nor um, if you read the exact wording of it, but it basically is saying that our distinctions no longer matter through Christ, that Christ covers those. So why would that not apply to gender or women being in the pulpit? Why does... Okay. I think you're talking about in Galatians 3, says there's neither male nor female in Christ, right? Because that's, because, look, and I know you know this, Bailey, when we look at the Bible, since God wrote it, it's never going to contradict itself. So what we have to do is we look at 1 Corinthians 14 that says it's a shame for women to speak in the church. We look at another passage in Galatians 3, says there's neither male nor female in Christ. And we say, how can both of those passages be true? And here's how they both can be true. Galatians 3 is not talking about women can preach in the pulpit. Galatians 3 is saying we're equal in Christ. A man is not superior to a woman in Christ. But it doesn't mean they don't have different roles. Even though we're equal in Christ, only women bear babies. My wife bore all four of our babies. I didn't bear a single one of them. We had different roles. I was the father. She was the mother. She bore all four of the children. So Galatians 3:28 is saying that we're all equal in Christ. The man is not any better than the woman in Christ, but it's not saying they have the same role. 1 Corinthians 14 is saying they have different roles. One difference in the role is is that when we're in the church when the whole church comes together in one place, 1 Corinthians 14:23, it says the woman is to keep silent. It's a shame for her to speak in the church. So her role is not to preach the sermon in the church service. That's not her role. Doesn't make her inferior or superior to a man. You see what I mean, Bailey? No, I understand what you're saying. I guess where my confusion comes in is, does the Bible ever define a sermon? Does it ever define a pulpit? 
I think that was the way that the previous caller phrased it as well, a pulpit. It, and I don't it think it may not use that there. word pulpit, but usually we just use that terminology to mean preach in the church service. And it does talk about, like in Acts 20, verse 7, the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread, and Paul preached unto them. So they came together on the first day of the week to have the Lord's Supper. They're all together in one place. Paul's preaching to them. So it does talk about preaching in the church service in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35. In 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 are very, very clear that the woman is the, that's not her role. Doesn't make her inferior to the man, Galatians 3, 28, but that's not her role. We're going to have to go off the air, Bailey. Thank you for your call, okay? Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Look, I got about 20 more seconds. Let me remind you that I offer that free one-hour phone Bible study. You're, you're welcome to do a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience. If you're interested in that, call or text me at 256-682-9753.